Welcome to the Jazz Shapers podcast from Mishkondorea. What you're about to hear was originally broadcast on Jazz FM. However, the music has been cut due to rights issues. This is Jazz Shapers with Elliot Moss on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Welcome to Jazz Shapers with me, Elliot Moss, bringing the shapers of the business world together with the musicians shaping jazz, soul and blues. My guest today is serial entrepreneur James Abraham, founder of office solutions companies Interfax Systems and Alto Digital, and founder of the sports management company Global Image Sports. Growing up in Islington and grateful for the difference good teachers can make in life, particularly when you have undiagnosed dyslexia, James built Interfax Systems into one of the leading independent providers of office solutions in the UK. Before selling his company and moving his family to the US, he'd set up Alto Digital, which, when he sold that to Xerox early March 2020, had 12 UK offices and over 400 employees. Alto Digital's partnerships with leading sports brands gave James and his wife Jackie, she's a lifelong West Ham fan, but James luckily is an Arsenal fan, an idea. They created Global Image Sports, as he says, for fun really, and to give something back to the US youth players. Global Image Sports provides player development, coaching education and international soccer, football, depending on where you're coming from, travel for youth clubs around the world in partnerships with major pro clubs. You've done lots of things. It's fabulous to have you on the programme. Looking back to the kid that was brought up in Islington and and now fast forwarding to where you are, in your wildest dreams, was this what would be happening? Uh, No, absolutely not. As you know, I've mentioned I struggle with dyslexia, so um, confidence and, and stuff was difficult early on, you know, especially at school. And the dyslexia thing has come up with many of my guests over the years, actually, mm-hmm. and there seems to be a disproportionate number. Sure. What did that mean for you, just thinking, going back then to before all the business stuff kicks in, what, what does that mean in terms of how it feels to be a young child where I assume teachers think you haven't got ability? Yeah, yeah, they did. They, um, some of them thought I was absolutely stupid, I think, uh, looking back, is in the city school in North London. So they were always under pressure anyway, you know, and I'm sure they are underpaid as well back then as they are now, I'm sure. So it was difficult for them to uh, give anyone class sizes, might have been 35, 40, I can't remember exactly. It seemed to always be a lot of people in the, in the class. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you, you struggled a lot and your confidence was uh, pretty low because some bits you just didn't seem to get, you know, just seemed to click. And yet, I don't know, all my buddies, all my friends, they seemed to think I was the smartest kid in the class because I was always organizing stuff if they wanted something done. They would come to me and say, oh, we want to, you know, whether it's a football game or after school, I don't know, water fight or whatever it was, I would always say, look, you've got to organise it, James. Pick the side, sort it out. So, yeah, so it was a bit strange. I couldn't comprehend why I was struggling. You know. And that organising bit, what happened? I mean, again, just looking now, you've, we've talked about mm-hmm. the businesses you've set up. We've talked about the business. I talked, mentioned the businesses yeah. you've sold. What role does organising, seeing stuff, seeing the patterns and the shapes, what role did that play back then? Well, I found out looking back, and obviously I did read a couple of books. The one was Changing was Gifted Dyslexia. And, you know, even reading was difficult. I'm, I'm, I'm okay at reading. It's more of a spelling and grammar style stuff and short-term memory at times, like names and stuff. But seeing the bigger picture was always seemed to be very easy for me. Hmm. And I could never understand how other people couldn't see it. It's almost like I was in a little box. I often used to think about someone telling a story about my life because I would see things so differently. I couldn't work it out why they couldn't see that, you know, like organisation. It seemed, okay, this is what we're going to do and, you know, you do that, you do that and they'd be looking at me like, oh, this is so cool. You know, and I'm <laughs> like, 
I don't get it, you know, it's weird. And you know when you say you see it, this always intrigues me because I've got lots of friends who are dyslexic and they're super bright and mm. they are off the scale bright actually. Yeah. When you say you see it, do you visually see it or is it just it's what comes into your head and it's a thought or is it a bit of both? Um, you know what I mean with the pieces when you go yeah. well, you've got to do that you've got to do that are you kind of visualising the, the pieces moving on a board yeah it, I think what it's done in another way also is because you have to develop different skills when you're dyslexic so you have to work a lot on your people skills because if you get caught in a situation where it's academic for argument's sake for making it a little bit easier and you don't know you didn't quite understand what they're asking you have to think of a way around it so I developed early on empathy I guess which is the key word in in my life I think that trying to understand what the other person was trying to achieve and what they wanted to to get in life and that made my life a lot easier because suddenly people found that I was interested in them sometimes it was just because I wanted to get out of a certain situation other times it was well what do you want to get out of this explain to me what you want to achieve and so yeah you would just see things differently I, I found and the empathetic side or trying to understand the other person's point of view just developed very early on. And interestingly, of course, most people don't start there. They start with what they want to achieve, and I guess that immediately changes the way that the conversation goes. It does, yeah. Even at a young age, I think it, it will get you know, people's egos up. and you, At that time, you don't realise that. But when you say, oh, okay, how can I help you? What do you want to achieve? And then suddenly you become the sort of coolest guy in the, in the school because, and, and I remember that, all the, the guys that were real tough guys, I wouldn't say they were bodyguards, but, you know, I was almost untouchable because they would sort of protect me in a way that would say, no, I don't, don't want anyone mixing with him because he's, he's going to organise the next football game or, <laughs> you know. And so, yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was a good time, to be honest. Tell me about this first business and how that came sure. about, just in a, in a brief sort of summation of why did it come about that you set up a business? Because it's one thing seeing stuff, yep. and I suppose one could say, well, it's a natural progression that you then go, well, you're going to be the guy that sets something up. But what was the moment when it actually happened? Well, I was a technician, effectively. They call it technician or engineer, and I used to go in and fix stuff in the uh, office world. Often West One is where these studios are, was one of my areas. And I'd see all the sales guys earning three times as much as me, often working half the day and I thought I'm, I'm pretty smart I think I can do that and so I transitioned into uh, selling and I read a, lots of books about not just gift dyslexia but how to improve you know subconscious thinking and and all that stuff in terms of changing your mindset because I was pretty shy uh, and I still am actually shy but I had to get outside that envelope really so then I moved into sales and Offrex as you mentioned earlier on first year in I think I won an award and then I've become top sales engineer two or three years running so this is a few years after school as well I imagine. this is yeah yeah and how first, old were you when you left school james 16 i think it was and again that teacher mr ashton when i went for the job at Offrex, i remember the careers officer said just no way you're going to get this job james with, with your grades effectively uh, so the grades weren't too pretty they were awful yeah uh, but mr ashton encouraged me to uh read about electronics which i was interested in and this is a teacher that was teacher at, uh, yeah, Tolleran Park School at the time yeah and I started to build radios, crystal sets and all sorts of radios at home. And he said to me, when you go for an interview, you've got to take your shopping bag full of your radios. So that's what I did. And then they gave me the, the, I got the job. And then from there, I just took off really and went from being a sales technician to then around 19, maybe. I got headhunted to start a business with another guy to run both sales and the engineering side, the technical side. And so I left and, and started with him. 
And was that was that the Interfax? No, 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 that so was just pre the one that, another one. Yeah, another okay. one. So getting quite an apprenticeship here. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. And that didn't end as well because the chat was difficult, not wanting to pay people the right amount of money on commissions, and and I just said you can't do that. You know, if someone thinks they're going to earn X, Y, Z, yeah, that's what they they got to earn. You can't start charging them for admin fees and whatever else he made up. But anyway, there's three guys that were there. It ended up in. Um, particular lawsuit because I left out of restricted covenants and they left and then I ended up uh, in parallel running the industrial tribunal in parallel with a high court action. You led it. I led it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I did have some help from a really good solicitor. I'm trying to work out what you can't do. This yeah. is it's ridiculous. So then I decided polymathically I was going to do a bit of law. I was doing a bit of sales. I was yeah. doing a bit of engineering. I mean, yeah. it's extraordinary actually. Yeah, yeah. Joking aside. Yeah. No, yeah, but to be fair, the solicitor held my hand a bit and he was a great guy and he said to me if you come into the office you're going to get charged so buy me a beer and I'll give you some advice and so <laughs> that's what we did we had regular meetings in the pub and he said you can't say that you know the barrister because they had a barrister obviously Yeah. anyway we won that which meant that the high court action almost would mirror that industrial tribunal action because it was restricted covenants and stuff like that and then that dropped away and so then we started started that company Interfax and that was the very first business very first and I'm going to pause it there because yep. we're going to come back because I want to hear much more about these early years in Interfax sure. and what that might have led you to sure. learn about what was going to sure. happen next and making making sure it was all super successful. Much more coming up from James, my business shape. That's James Abrahart. He'll be back in a couple of minutes. Right now, though, we're going to hear a clip from the Michigan Academy digital sessions. They can be found on all the major podcast platforms. Michigan Direct's Tom Grogan talks about Web 3.0, the next iteration of the internet, and what businesses and individuals need to be thinking about when formulating their own Web 3 strategies and pursuing valuable, impactful projects. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. Conversations on the legal topics affecting businesses and individuals today. How do NFTs fit into conversations about Web3? So NFT stands for non-fungible token. So in this Web3 reality, where people are able to transact value, value is represented in the form of, of tokens. All an NFT is, is a non-fungible token non-fungible, meaning it's not readily exchanged for others having the exact same value. So the, the classic example there is if you, Sean, lend me £10, you are probably relaxed as to whether or not I pay you back with a £10 note, two £5 notes, or 10 £1 coins, because ultimately they are fungible with each other. They are readily exchanged. If you were to lend me a piece of artwork, you probably wouldn't be happy for me to give you back another artwork that I tell you has an equivalent value because you probably attach meaning to that unique asset. So NFTs are important if Web3, as we currently imagine it, is to become a reality because it allows us to not just transact fungible things, i.e. money, but non-fungible things, unique goods, artwork, and others. The Mishcon Academy Digital Sessions. To access advice for businesses that is regularly updated, please visit mishcon.com. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. You can enjoy all our former business shapers on the Jazz Shapers podcast. And you can hear this very program again if you pop Jazz Shapers into your podcast platform of choice. My guest today is James Abrahart, founder of Office Solutions Companies, Interfax Systems and Alto Digital, and founder of the sports management company Global Image Sports. We were at the beginning of the story, and I, I want to kind of crystallise it in terms of the Interfax Systems. Mm -hmm. Just those first few months, you set this business up. How, how old were you at the time, James? I would have been maybe 25, 
Maybe 24, I'm not sure the exact, 24, 25. Yeah, young. Yes. And how young. long were you involved in that business for? Interfax. Yeah. About eight years, maybe, nine years. And that business then got sold? That business did get sold, yeah. Yeah. So you're probably in your late 20s, early 30s when you sell the thing? Yeah, the only funny thing about that was when we acquired the name Interfax Systems, we didn't realise it was also the Russian news agency. I, I, I was going to say, it is exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. And so we would get Which a lot is independent, he independent. says. Independent. <laughs> in inverted commas. Yeah, yeah. So we yes. used to get confused a lot where the press would come out from yeah. the Interfax news agent, and they, and they thought we owned that as well, which was quite funny, but anyway. <laughs> but you didn't. We didn't. To no. be clear, everyone. No, we didn't. He, he, no no didn't. connection at all. No connection at all. You, you sold that, and again, just quickly, selling a business mm-hmm. of whatever size, it's mm-hmm. a learning curve. There's tons of paperwork. Yep. There's people involved. Sure. Going back to that thing you mentioned, and mm-hmm. I love it, it's about empathy. Yeah. Was that where you, you pressed the, the accelerator down on how to get a deal across the line? Was it around the empathy piece, or were you that ruthless, James? Which bit of you came to, uh, to the fore? The other thing my wife and my kids always say is connecting the dots. So, like, we had a conversation five minutes before, you know, the show, you mentioned LA, etc. I'll connect the dots with people. So someone will say to me, oh, you know, my son or daughter is trying to get into X, Y, Z, and I'll know someone that I spoke to maybe four years ago, and I can and you'll go put yeah, it out, connect the dots. So, yeah. so what happened with Alco Standard was a, that acquired us was a big American company, twelve billion in revenues, big company, and we had some issues around the legal issues. Without getting too complicated, I wanted to get a convertible note, and they would do that for several hundred million normally. You know, they're doing swaps and all that good complicated stuff, financing. And so by pure luck, just in one of the conversations, one of the executives in Europe mentioned they was an American guy that was on the main board that had an office at 1 Regent Street, and I uh, tracked him down. Same name as the American, one of the financial guys in the government, a guy called Paul O'Neill. So Paul O'Neill was a big investor in Alco Standard, actually was one of the first guys, and I, li- I literally called him up. Cold. Cold. Yeah. And it could have killed the deal, to be honest, because... <laughs> I didn't mention it to the, the European executives. And yeah, Paul was brilliant. I, I sort of become an adopted son of his, you know. And I remember the funny thing about One Regent Street was I thought I'd go in for 10 minutes. I had to get past the secretary, which was a bit difficult on the cold call, but I managed it. And I, I thought I'd been there for 20, 30 minutes. So I, I had, at the time, I put half an hour, 40 minutes in <laughs> on the, the meter. On the meter. <laughs> and I could see my car being towed away over my over his left corner. You know, I, and I didn't want to... Didn't <laughs> Because he was in mid-flow. I mean, this guy had invested in every Coca-Cola. He was telling me stories. Brilliant, brilliant guy. How long were you there for? I think two hours. I think yeah. uh, I had to call my partners up and I said, we've either killed this deal, but my my focus now is trying to get my car back, you know, because it was in the pound, you know. Have you ever felt like you're in a movie, James? It just happens to be starring you. I don't I mean, know. These are, mad, these are mad stories. But just, so you get you get to a deal, but off, off your own kind of chutzpah, your own desire to go and do well, it a certain literally, way. literally, the reason it took slightly longer was Paul, at the time, said, okay, I just want to make a call. Unbeknownst to me, he's talking to a guy called John. He said, yeah, I've got a guy in the office now. I really want you to meet him, John. He's a great guy. Yeah, I think we need him in this company. We need to do this deal, blah, blah, blah. Turns out he was talking to the CEO in America. And literally, this was Thursday. And I was on a plane on Sunday to go and see the CEO. And you can imagine that the executives were pretty irritated, you know, that they had to do a bio on me, et cetera. So, uh, and then John and I got on like a house on fire. But it could have had something to do with that Paul had arranged his options and his salaries for the last three years. So maybe it wasn't my negotiating skill. It was just that he didn't want to say no to Paul O'Neill. But the point was, I think for me, yeah. you had an idea. It wasn't in the box. It was yeah. out of the box. You went and did it and, hey, pressed it. Yeah. 
I'm going to jump to the next yep. business, Outer yep. Digital. Sure. Um, that sold three years ago mm -hmm. to Xerox mm -hmm. at the time. Mm -hmm. um, again, that's not a short-term win. No. You built that business over a number of years, sure. or over 20, 20, 30 years, in fact. Uh, yeah, 25 years. 25 years. Yeah. When you're in it for the long haul, and again, I've just taken 25 years and sim mm -hmm. simplified it out to 13 seconds. Mm -hmm. When you're in it for the long haul, James, are you just, again, a day-by-day -day guy, or did you have a vision of, at some point, I am going to sell my baby and it's going to be for the right price or is it not like that? It wasn't like that. I mean, the first business I sold off Interfax was to really spend more time with the children. So going just briefly back to that, that they, they wanted me to run Europe at Alco Standard, which was at the time was about 600 million of revenues. And I never really sold the business for money. I sold the business so I could spend a bit more time with my four children or... At the time, I've been three. So Who are now grown up. Are oh, now grown up. One, one of whom is is rather well known in the music world. Sure. Jay Hart. Yep. Now, I've yep. said it now. Go yep. check go check him out on Spotify and anywhere else. You've probably heard of him. But anyway, yep. carry on. So when I set up after digital, I mean, dyslexic thing made me, I'm always keen to get better people around me. So I don't really worry. I've not got insecurities in that because I know that if better people, like for instance, a financial guy or, you know, people that are very focused on detailed orientated because that complements what I want to do. Mm. So we had a great team at Alto, you know, at the executive team, small team, four or five guys, but all the people were great, you know. So that did allow me to spend more time in the US as well and, and not have to keep coming back. So I'm a big delegator. Yeah. I think my kids call me King Delegator, <laughs> you know, and normally Jackie, my wife, ends up doing most of it. But so, yeah, that allowed us. So the vision wasn't necessarily to sell. The vision was to grow it. Mm. And then it was around the time the dot-com was taking off. And I'd seen that in America, obviously, me being in America. And the investment guys at Paul O'Neill that I mentioned to you, they, they come in early to help us put some seed capital to grow fast. And yeah, so that's how we, we saw it, you know, and it was e-commerce was taking off. Amazon was going pre-public. So there's a lot of big companies that were moving in. And it wasn't quite in the UK. The e-commerce world was not here. Most of the companies didn't understand it. So we were ahead of the game early on. And we had, at the time, before we were just about to go public, we had over 10,000 e-commerce sites, which was unheard of. And it was the way we did it. We, we didn't sell them the e-commerce sites up front. We effectively rented it over a period. So rather than costing 5,000, we would put it over five years. So it allowed a business, an SMB or SME in, in the UK, they could, to afford it. To afford it. Yeah. But it put them on the web, which is what we were trying to get. It's exactly what you're trying to do. Yeah. And just thinking about, you, you just talked about being a delegator and people and not feeling insecure. I imagine that goes way back to recognizing what you, even though you had these extraordinary strengths and people can't see what you see, knowing what you couldn't do yeah. and, and being comfortable with that. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's quite a big thing because most people don't quite get that level of clarity. Maybe they're not forced to, but I imagine... And again, looking yeah. at a lot of dyslexic people, whether it's a Richard Branson, mm. whether it's a James sure. Abraham, that's yeah. exactly what you do. You go, well, I can do stuff you can't do. I'm the magician, but actually, yeah. I, I know that's what I do. Yeah, no, I mean, 100%. I think when I sold the first company, that's how I found out I was dyslexic mm. because I'd heard that gift of dyslexia. Actually, I was in the Houston Road. I remember where I was. And it was coming towards the end. I decided I didn't want to stay in at Alco Standard and, and run Europe. So I was leaving. So I was in the last two weeks of my tenure, if, if you like. And uh, my secretary is still with me today. She said, I said, anything going on? She said, oh, we've had a couple of small minor complaint letters. And one of them's from the, the Dyslexic Society. And um, I just took the letter off her desk for no reason. You know, I said, oh, let me. And I'm in the car. And we did have car phones then. I mean, it was early days of the car phone. 
And I remember one of the radio stations, I don't know which one, was talking to the author of Gift Dyslexia. And I had one of those moments that I had to pull over the car because I'm like, this guy's talking about me. And literally I looked down and there was a letter and I, I called the professor who'd sent the complaint in and he thought our service was unbelievable. He said, this is incredible. He said, you fixed the problem and now I've got the managing director calling me up. <laughs> so uh, I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm just listening to the gift of dyslexia. And he went, oh, fantastic. So I chat, chat, chat. And I said, how do you know if you've got that? He said, well, do you think you've got it? I said, well, I don't know. He said, well, where are you? And he literally ran the corner. He said, come around for a cup of tea and I'll test you. And I went, oh, I don't like tests. He went, I can already tell you've got it. <laughs> so that's how I found out I have dyslexic. IQ are super high when he tested it, apparently, which was quite funny, really, because I, I lived on that with a... I was going to say, you've got it on a sheet and yeah. you lift it up at breakfast and you go, kids, shush, yeah. 300, 347. Now yeah. be quite and eat, yeah, eat yeah. your cereal. Exactly. Final chat coming up with my brilliant guest today. It's James Abraham, and we've got some music from Ezra Collective. That's all coming up in just a moment. I'm sure you're not going to go anywhere. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. Ezra Collective, one of my eldest son's favourites, with Lady, and it's their version of the Fela Kuti classic, just in case you didn't know. James Abraham is my business shaper's age, just for a few more minutes. In the stories you've told, you mentioned them, oh, we were in the US, mm. you, moved, you moved the whole family sure. to the United States. Yep. Massive upheaval. Yep. Why? Um, we just wanted another experience. Partly, I mentioned you earlier, one of my kids were being slightly bullied at school. We just decided we wanted a new chapter. Then the American investment group I was in wanted me to look at several of their investments they'd done. So it just seemed like a good idea. And you like change, James? We did. Both of us did, to be fair. You and Jackie? Yes. Although she was obviously leaving the parents behind was tough. It was fun for the kids. Yeah. But it's something, do you think if you look back across your life that the change thing is something you're more than comfortable with? In fact, it's something you quite thrive on. Yes. Yes. Yeah, we did. And it, it, it's been good for the kids in their development as well to see another country and, and live there. So it's, yeah. it's been, yeah, it was, it was great times. We loved it. The other thing that occurs to me is it feels like you're a bit ageless. Like you might be however old you are. You're not mm. 130. No, you're not, you're not, not 25 either. Yeah, yeah. You kind of have a very natural energy, which means you've gone again quite mm. a few times. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole mm. the serial thing that yeah, I mentioned, sure. as in with an S rather than the C that we yeah. were talking about before. Yeah. Um, and the latest iteration, I say it's latest, yeah. 13 years now, yeah. the global image business. Yeah. What in a, in a nutshell is that about for you? Not, I mean, I know it's all around looking after sports sure. people and stuff, but why that? Well, when we were there in America, that three of our children played soccer, as they call it, you know, the two girls, Sam and Abby and, and Stuart. And I was just a little bit disappointed about some of the quality of the coaching that was going, predominantly, sadly, from English or European to the Americans. So because we were already we were supplying a lot of professional football clubs in, in the UK and I got to know the CEOs or COOs, either at dinners or golf days, and then they found out I lived in America, they would go... Actually, Arsenal was the first one. Fantastic guy called Ken Fryan, who was on the, on the board at, uh, you know, brilliant guy. He invited me to Arsenal and said, can you come along and talk to me about America, James? Which, being an Arsenal fan, I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And so it was brilliant. Amazing, amazing man. Super empathetic. And so that's what started me thinking, okay, I can help the pro clubs, but I can also help the young players see the game slightly differently and coaching. And obviously the girls' game was huge in America, right? And so I had to convince some of these, West Ham was one of the, Tony Carr, I remember having a conversation with Tony Carr, who's Sir Tony Carr now, saying, Tony, you know, you need to let the girls, he said, oh, the girls in the academy, you know, so I went, I'm telling you, it's going to be a big sport and uh, the brands will want the Premier League to have girls teams. Mm. 
So I remember my particular daughter, Sam, she would get into Tony's comfort zone when, when he was coaching, when he'd come over to America to coach for us. And eventually, you know, he just said to another great guy called Paul Heffer, academy director at uh, West Ham, I think we should let the girls in now. And, and uh, yeah, so now looking back, yeah, so that, we did it. We give it the opportunities. We give them UK coaching from Premier Clubs, whether it was West Ham or whoever, whatever Premier Club we'd partner with, you know, Wolverhampton or Wolves, you know, uh, up and down the country. And then they would send the coaches out to do coaching sessions. And then, of course, the kids would want to come over on tours to watch EPL games, as they call them. And so, yeah, that was, and it was good. So we, it wasn't a money thing. We didn't do it. No. Jackie and I didn't do it. We it's didn't a passion. It's it was just something, that was, and it just kept growing. I was going to say, you're here 13 years later, it's still going, right? Yeah. We, we, on a smaller scale, COVID was pretty brutal. Yeah. You can imagine. And uh, obviously I'd sold my, I sold Alto. So that took, that was tremendous energy to sell that. It took a lot of strain. And then literally the good news was selling it on March 11th, which was global pandemic day, which was amazingly lucky to do that. Then the GIS side started. We had 700 people come in to London, effectively, in April mm. 2020. So you can imagine that was, sorting that out was... I can imagine. Yeah. I'm going to have to close off. I want to ask one last thing. I, th- I think I've read somewhere that you said, look, there's all this stuff we've been talking about, these incredible achievements yeah. in business. And yet you say your biggest achievement is your family. Sure. Just in a nutshell, what does family mean to you? Well, it's a lot of luck, I think, when you meet your partner. I mean, if we're still together, as you know, we've, uh, that's the song that is our wedding song. Uh, She'd done a lot of the heavy lifting, to be honest, Jackie. I, I, I don't know, it's just the kids made me realise, you know, when they were younger, that were more important than business and, and, and financial gain. And they've really enhanced both our lives to such a degree. Mm. The kids are funny and they keep you young. You know, you mentioned about that. So it's been fantastic. And I, I just, I wanted more, actually, and... I think my wife said, nope, after four. That's, that's quite it. a lot, James. It is quite a lot. Yeah, I mean, come on. Listen, right. it's been brilliant talking to you. Just before I let you disappear, sure. what's, what's your song choice and why have you chosen it? I think you mentioned you kind of why you've chosen it anyway just now. But let's... Yeah, we, well, we got <clears> married <throat> to this song. So my wife and I we were talking about it the other day when we were looking for the song. So it's Endless Love by Lionel Richie and Diana Ross. Lionel Richie and Diana Ross there with Endless Love, the song choice of my business shaper today, James Abrahart. So much of what he said was down to what he called the gift of dyslexia. His ability to understand other people and think about them actively. His empathy. His ability to connect the dots. His understanding that having better people around him was not a problem. In fact, it was a virtue. And finally, the way his children called him the king delegator. That ability to let go and let other people get on with it. Fantastic stuff. That's it from Jazz Shapers. Have a lovely weekend. Jazz Shapers on Jazz FM. In partnership with Mishkondorea. It's business, but it's personal. We hope you enjoy that edition of Jazz Shapers. You'll find hundreds more guests available for you to listen to in our archive. To find out more, just search Jazz Shapers in iTunes or your favourite podcast platform or head over to mishkon.com forward slash jazz shapers.